Well, it's good to be back with all of you again and to see so many new faces. I uh, was saying to um, Norman and to others this morning, what a real privilege and a joy it is to see so many come, and this being only their second year of of uh, organizing this together. It's really, I, I, I tell you what, I'm, uh, I can't be more pleased. It's so great to see God moving on so many, especially the young people. I, I um, can't tell you what a thrill it is to know that in Southern California, thank God, there's still some left. Now, it's already been mentioned uh, about bringing your Bibles, and I hope you did bring them. And I don't mean to be meddling, but I suspect sometimes it's proper to do so. <laughs> I hope you brought the King James. Amen. Yes, I didn't say the New King James. I didn't say the NIV, the RSV, or any other V other than the KJV. I don't have time to get involved with Bible translations, but we are of Protestant heritage, not Roman Catholic heritage. And if we are yet to understand the difference between the two, we cannot give the three angels' message in clear, certain terms. It is imperative to understand the heritage of our faith and the traditions of those that have gone before that have left us a legacy that we should be proud of. <clears throat> so I'm going to assume you've got your King James. And so for those of you who don't, I brought mine so you can hear the King James. Now, before we begin, I know that we've already had prayer, but I'd like to offer another word of prayer at this time. Our Father in heaven, we come to you on your Sabbath day to ask that you will visit us in a very special way. You have sanctified this day. You've made it holy. You've made it very clear that this day is a memorial for all mankind to remember that you are our creator and our redeemer and that you have saved us by your grace so please dear lord help each one of us as we now take this time to meditate in the study of your holy bible please dear god send us we pray thy holy spirit Give us open hearts and minds, not only to understand the truth, but to love and to follow the truth as we understand it. Give us, we pray, dear God, an anointing. And help me, dear Lord, to speak the words that are only essential, that would uplift and encourage and challenge. May your angels be with us now, we pray. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I'm going to read to you some statements from the Spirit of Prophecy. 
I don't have time again to do what I did last night to clarify the spirit of prophecy. But those of you who were here last night, you know what I'm about to read to you, don't you? It's not good advice. It's not good counsel. It's not a good suggestion. A divine revelation and an infallible commentary on the truth. I want you to listen very carefully what Sister White has to say about a particular chapter found in the Bible, primarily out of the book of Isaiah. Special Testimony Series B, number 2, page 5, she says, quote, The whole of the 58th chapter of Isaiah is to be regarded as a message for this time and is to be given over and over again. It's a message for what? This time. And it's to be given how? Over and over again. Testimony to the Church, Volume 8, page 159. She says, What saith the Lord of the 58th chapter of Isaiah? The whole chapter is of the highest importance. Not some of it, not most of it. All of it is of the highest importance. Manuscript 7, 1908. She says, I have been instructed. Underscore that. I have been instructed. And please don't tell me it was Willie White. There are those today who want to be skeptical about the writings of the, of the, of the servant of the Lord and they, they want to relegate it now to the issue of that really white helped write the great controversy or gave her some of the other statements. I got news for you. You can put Willie White's mind together with Uriah Smith and all the others and they couldn't write a paragraph of the spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy is a divine revelation from the Holy Spirit. I have been instructed... That means the Holy Spirit instructed her. I have been instructed to refer our people to the 58th chapter of Isaiah. Read this chapter carefully and understand the kind of ministry that will bring life into the churches. Read this chapter, she says, and then you'll understand the kind of ministry that will bring life into the churches. Now, from what I understand, we had a message already on the Laodicean church. Is that right? I think what Brother Pruitt brought into us. If there's one church of the seven churches that needs life brought into it, it's the Laodicean church. And we, as the Seventh-day Adventist people, we are that church. And you know the deadly problem with Laodicea, well, I'll get into it a little bit later, but the deadly problem with Laodicea is they're unaware of their true condition. Testimonies to the Church, Volume 2, page 33 to 35. I'm not going to read everything, but just a little section of it. Speaking of Isaiah 58, she says, This is a special work now before us. All are praying... And abstinence from food will avail nothing unless we resolutely lay hold of this work. All of your praying, all of your abstinence from food, all your good deeds will do nothing unless you lay hold of the work as described in Isaiah 58. She says, sacred obligations are resting upon us. Our duty is plainly stated. The Lord has spoken to us by His prophet. Special Testimonies, Series A, number 10, page 3. She says, quote, 
The work specified in these words, Isaiah 58, is the work God requires His people to do. It is the work of God's own appointment. It is the work God has appointed us to do. This is the work that we should be engaged in if we want to bring life into the churches. Letter 24, 1898, she says, I have no fears of the workers who are engaged in the work represented in the 58th chapter of Isaiah. This chapter is explicit and is enough to enlighten anyone who wishes to do the will of God. It is clearly revealing what we ought to do. If you want to be enlightened, of course, that's assuming you want to be enlightened. Testimony to the Church, Volume 6, page uh, 265 and 267. She says, I cannot too strongly urge all our church members, all who are true missionaries, all who believe in the third angel's message, all who turn away their feet from the Sabbath to consider the message of the 58th chapter of Isaiah. Do you believe in the three angels' message? Do you believe in it? Do you? Then she says, you know what? You should pay attention to Isaiah 58. Manuscript 22, 1901. She says the 58th chapter of Isaiah contains present truth for the people of God. What kind of truth? Present Present truth. You know, there's two kinds of truths in the Bible. There's precious truth, and then there's present truth. Present truth is truth that is relevant to the time in which we live. And present truth can change from one generation to another. You know, during the Reformation, the Sabbath was not present truth. You know that, don't you? It was not a present truth issue during the Reformation. That was not an issue for them. Salvation, justification by faith, that was present truth. In our day, in our day, the Sabbath, when we, in terms of the issues of uh, the Millerite movement and, and, and so forth, the Advent movement, the Sabbath is present truth. Isn't that right? Yes, yeah, so is the state of the dead. So is the sanctuary message. And so is the spirit of prophecy. And others as well. This is present truth. The three angels' messages. And so is Isaiah 58. It's present truth for the people of God. Well, I could go on and read more of them, but I think it's sufficient to see from the writings of the servant of the Lord how important this chapter really is to the Seventh-day Adventist people. Now you've got your Bibles. I want you to turn to Isaiah 58. And as you're turning there, let me give you a little background. Isaiah is a pre-Babylonian prophet. At this time, the people of God are in great apostasy. God has, for quite some time, sent prophets to help them to see the errors of the ways. But they have a history of rejecting what God has sent. God raises up a man by the name of Isaiah. He's known as the gospel prophet. You could also consider him, really, in one sense, almost the fifth... Uh, gospel uh, in terms of like Matthew, Mark, Luke and John Isaiah speaks of the Messiah constantly and so God raised up Isaiah earnestly pleading with the people of God to repent of their ways to change the course of action you know during his early phases of his ministry had they obeyed the words of Isaiah God would have stayed back the hands of the coming destruction. But they refused to listen. 
And you know, every time you say no to God, you harden your heart. It's not that God wants to send judgments. It's not that God wants to have you uh, punished in any way. That's not God's will. God would prefer that, that you would live a peaceful and, and a prosperous life spiritually and physically. But because of our choices that we make, sometimes we make the wrong choices, therefore the consequences must follow. And in this particular case, the consequences began to escalate. They were compounding their problems. And they, like the Jews before, and even those who've gone after, were under a fatal delusion. How can God reject us? We're the chosen people of God. We're the Jews. Abraham is our father. Even in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ, they were so arrogant to tell Jesus, Abraham is of our father. Jesus said, if you were Abraham, were your father, you would do the works of Abraham. But you seek to kill me. Abraham isn't your father. Your father is the devil. By their fruits you shall know them. Profession means nothing with God. Catholic Church has a concept known as apostolic secession. They believe that the Pope is the head of the church, that he is the rightful leader and ruler of the church worldwide. And that just doesn't include Catholics. You have to understand Catholic theology. They believe that the Pope is the head of everyone who names the name of Christ. Catholic or Protestant. They believe he's the rightful heir to the throne of uh, the Apostle Peter. Now they base that obviously on a falsehood of succession starting with Peter and onward. Well, of course, we know that's not true. We know that's a fallacy. We don't believe that a person is a child of God based on the fact that their father was a child of God. Do we? Just because your mother or father was born again Christian, God, fearing God, does that make you one? See, we don't believe in apostolic secession within the concept of Christianity in regard to those who claim to be God's children. We don't believe it. We don't accept it. At least we shouldn't. And yet how many today have the same mindset of the Jews of old? We're Seventh-day Adventists. God's got to take me to heaven. Well, my great-great-granddaddy was among those who helped start the, the Advent movement. Well, what does that mean? It's good for him if he's been faithful to the end. It was good for him, but what's that mean for you? And so finally, God came to Isaiah. Because of the hardness of their heart, he had to give them a straight testimony. A very strong message, a pointed message. And that's what it means, the straight testimony, straight to the point. And sometimes messages that are given to the point cut deep. Yes, they're very unpleasant from time to time, no doubt about it. Very unpleasant. No one likes to be told they're wrong. Nobody But it doesn't matter whether we like to be told or not. The issue is God loves us so much that He's not willing that any should perish. And therefore, those He loves, He does what? He chastens and rebukes. 
Listen to what he says in Isaiah chapter 58 verse 1. He says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgressions, and the house of Jacob their sins. Now stop right here. First of all, you have God speaking to Isaiah. Isn't that right? Isn't that true? Yes, I want you to notice who's speaking. This is God speaking to Isaiah, telling Isaiah what to do. Now, in verse 2, he continues on. I want you to listen very carefully to how God describes the condition of the Jews. Yet they, yet they, the Jews, this is God speaking, this is not Isaiah. Yet they seek me how often? They seek me daily, every day. Every day they have devotions. Every day they pray. Every day they go to the synagogue. Every day. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness. Not that they are righteous, but they act as though they are righteous. Did you notice that? And forsook not the ordinance of their God. They act as though they have never forsook the ordinance of God. You understand how they're acting? I want you to notice the attitude of the Jews. I want you to notice the condition of the Jews. I want you to notice how they're thinking and their mindset. Now let me tell you something right now. In God speaking here, is He giving an opinion or is He declaring the reality of what is? He's declaring the reality. God doesn't deal in the realm of fantasy. We do. Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, mankind has always dealt in the realm of fantasy. You know why? Because we don't like to see reality. You know why? Because reality simply tells you this. You're a sinner. You're corrupt from your head to the toes. There is no goodness in you. And you need a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. That's reality. No one wants to be told they're corrupt. They're evil. No one wants to be told that. That's why this psychiatrist today. That's a big business in the world today. It's a big business. Now, don't misunderstand me. There's true science. Mental, you know, health. There's true science. That's called God's way of understanding human nature. Not Freud and, and Darwin. That's why most psychiatrists themselves are seen psychiatrists. To go to a psychiatrist today, not in all cases, but in most cases, it's like going to a priest to ask him to ha have your sins forgiven. Please, spare me. You must be kidding me. They act as though they have not forsaken God's ordinances. He, goes, he say, they ask of me the ordinance of justice. Notice what they ask in the petitions. God, do justice. Now, first of all, there's nothing wrong with that, is there? No. Is there something wrong with going to God daily? No. Nothing wrong with praying to God every day. Matter of fact, that's a virtue. It's something you should do. Nothing wrong with asking God for justice. He says they take delight in approaching the God. Notice the attitude they have. They, they actually enjoy going to church. They take delight in approaching God. Now, this is their attitude. But what's the condition? What is the reality of their condition? What does the verse, first verse say? 
They're living in what? They're living in sin. They're not a, 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 a people that are righteous. They're not righteous. They're living in sin. Look, friends, if they were righteous, if they actually were doing God's will in all aspects of their lives, why would God tell Isaiah to cry aloud and spare not? Why would he tell them to do that? It'd be rather hypocritical on God's account. So God says, no, this is how they act. This is how they behave. This is what they're like. Now look at verse 3. Now from this point, now you got the Jews speaking. This is not God speaking. Now the Jews are saying this. I want you to listen to what they say about themselves and what they say about God. See, the Jews have a dilemma. They can't quite figure out why God is treating them a certain way. I want you to notice what they say. Wherefore have we fasted? Wherefore have we fasted? Who's fasting? The Jews are fasting. So they go to church every day. They pray. They ask God for justice. They take delight in approaching Him. They act as though they've done nothing wrong. And they actually fast. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not. Who's the thou? Yeah, and, and God doesn't see. In other words, what are they saying? God doesn't answer our prayers. Why won't you answer our prayers, God? We fast every day. We go to church. We pay our tithes. We actually take delight in singing the hymns. Why won't you answer our prayers? Wherefore we have afflicted our souls. Notice, they deny themselves certain things. They afflict their souls. They deny themselves certain things. Behold, now this is God speaking. Now watch this. Excuse me, they afflict our souls and thou takest no knowledge. In other words, God doesn't recognize the fact that even we go beyond the norm. We, we afflict, we deny ourselves and God will not acknowledge that. Then it says this, Behold, in the day of your fast ye shall find pleasure and, expect all, and exact all your labors. Now notice God now again commenting about the Jews. This is what they're doing. Behold, ye fast for strife. Now I want you to notice their attitude. Now this is, look, look at what they're doing to one another. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate and smite with the fist of wickedness. What are they doing to one another? What's their attitude? What kind of people do we have here? What's it the same? They're doing what? Strife? Debating? Arguing? Backbiting? Seeking revenge? Taking advantage of one another? That's what it means in the latter part. You exact of all your labor, labors. You actually take pleasure in this. In other words, you're ripping people off. You're stealing from them. You lie, you cheat, you gossip, you hate one another, you backbite. No wonder God doesn't answer your prayers. No wonder God doesn't recognize your good works or what deeds you consider to be good works. No wonder God doesn't recognize it. Look at how they're acting. And now what's the sad thing about it? They don't even recognize it. That's the sad thing. It's one thing... Deception. Let me just put it this way. You know, deception is, is, is a very tragic thing. There are two ways to be deceived. And deception comes in two categories. One is external, outside of you. In other words, somebody else is bringing the deception. Now, that's dangerous. Many of people will be lost because of that. We know what Jesus said in Matthew 24. Many will come in my name. 
and will deceive many. Isn't that right? Vain I'm Christ and deceive many. So there will be great deception externally. We know that. But there's another deception that's worse than external deception. That's internal deception. When you think yourself to be right, when all the, all the while you are actually wrong. You understand? Self-deception. You deceive yourself. It is rare that anyone comes out of self-deception. I mean, how do you convince yourself out of the deception that you're in that you think you're right when you're wrong? Only God can help you out of that one. And so they don't understand. Yet look how they act. He goes on to say, You shall not fast as you do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen? Now God is saying, is this how I want you to behave? Is this how I want you to act? Is this how I want you to live? No. This is not the will of God. That's not how we're supposed to behave and act. He goes on to say, A day for a man to afflict his soul. Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast, an acceptable day of the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen? Now at this point, God now is going to reverse it. He said, this is how you've been behaving. This is how you act. This is what you're like. He said, but now this is, this is how I want you to behave. This is the fast I want from you. And I go back to say to you something on this. It's very interesting. These earlier verses... In regard to the condition of the Jews, they think themselves to be all right, all is well. They can't understand why God will not answer their prayer. They don't understand why God is treating them the way that he is. And, and, and so they're confused in their mind. They think, well, we go to church every day. We do what is right, at least in their mind. That's what they think. Why God won't answer our prayers. They're under a fatal deception. They're under the deception they're deceiving themselves. This is the same condition of the Laodicean church. Exact same condition. There is no difference between this condition and that of the Laodicean church. What is the problem with the Laodicean? I mentioned to you earlier. What do they say? What do the Jews or the Laodicean church say? What do they actually say about themselves? We're rich and increased with goods and have what? Need of nothing. Now that's what they say. That's what they believe is the reality of their condition. But let me ask you a question. Is that really the reality of their condition? No, it's not the reality of their condition. What is it? What does God say? Thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's reality. That's the true condition of the Laodicean church. But they think themselves to be the opposite of that. They're self-deceived. Why do you think God gave as a remedy to this latest the straight testimony. Don't you understand when... Look, you ever been in a deep sleep? I mean, really, a deep, deep sleep. I've only been in a very few times. But but I, I remember uh, sometimes, you know, you get into that very deep sleep. You know, it takes a bomb to wake you up. You know, you're so tired, you're so exhausted, the body just cannot take any more. You've got to rest. And so you're in a very deep sleep. Look, if you're in a very deep sleep, a whisper isn't going to wake you up. You understand? A whisper isn't going to do it. I'm sorry, I hate to do it, but I'm about to pull you out of bed, physically, to get you up. Now, you may not like it, 
because, you know, you were in comfortable deep sleep. You were enjoying yourself. But, you see, the problem is that when sometimes you're in that, you're in that deep sleep, spiritually speaking, as a metaphor, you see, here's the problem with Laodicea. The house is burning. You understand? The house is on fire. The only thing that will wake you up is a straight testimony. It's the only remedy. You're in a deep sleep. You've got to wake up before you die. So before you start casting stones at the one who gives you the straight testimony in order to prevent you from being burnt up, you should thank him. And say thank you for not allowing me to get burnt to a crisp. We're actually told from the servant of the Lord that the destiny of the church, the entire destiny of the church hinges on the straight testimony. Did you know that? The destiny of the church. You have the same problem in Isaiah's day. Now you think, well, man, that's kind of odd how you have the same condition in Isaiah's day and we have it the same in our day thousands of years later. What does that teach you? Well, it just teaches the same thing that Solomon wrote so long ago. There's nothing new under the sun. Human nature is human nature. I mean, what difference does it make if you lived 3,000 years ago or you live today? You're still the same in terms of human nature. Human nature doesn't change. All the times change, but not human nature. One time I was in Australia doing a series of meetings, an evangelistic series, and I was going to preach on standards. You remember hearing about that. So I preached, you know, I was going to preach on standards. And they came to me and they said, oh, now, Brother Ray, they said, you know, this is Australia. This is not America. That's <laughs> the same way I felt. <laughs> so I said, uh, you know, I was eating breakfast. I, I tell you, you know you're in trouble when you're sitting in breakfast. You, you've never said anything to no one, but you can feel the tension from the people on the other side of the table. You, you know what I'm saying? When that happens, just eat your meal. You know what I mean? Let them be the first to lob the volley. You understand? Don't, don't say anything. Don't invite trouble. So that's what I thought to myself. I'm not going to say anything. And um, so they, they, they went on with this. You know, this is Australia. You know, uh, this is not America. And I said, look, I understand uh, this is Australia. I, I realize that. And I said, I know I need to be mindful of different cultures and situations of that nature. I said, but I can assure you, uh, I will make sure I preach it God's way. You know, <laughs> I later said to some people, I said, you know, I didn't know that some portions of the Bible were written exclusively for the Americans and the other parts of the Bible, you know, they're exempt. You know, the other cultures and the races of the world. I thought the Bible was written for every race on the face of this earth. Now, if, if we're going to say that this Bible was some of the, is written for the Americans, you know, the American people, I don't know about you, but I'll take great pride in that. That God actually said, you know, I'm just going to do something just for the American people. But that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. God has a message for all of us. No matter what our cultural background may be, no matter where we were born or raised, the Word of God is for everyone. 
The Laodicean church is in serious problem, in a serious condition, just like the Jews of old. Now, I want you to notice what God says, how they're supposed to act and behave. Verse 6, he says, Is not this the fast that I have chosen? To lose the bands of wickedness? To lose the bands of What binds us down? Now, he's speaking metaphorically. What, is he, what, what binds us? What ties us down spiritually? So, of course, it's sin. Of course. To lose the bands of wickedness. Look, you see, prior to this, what were they doing? They weren't losing the bands. They were tightening the bands and adding bands of wickedness, weren't they? Sure they were. We're not to be stumbling blocks to one another. We're actually to be helping one another out of the sinful condition we find ourselves in. We're to help encourage one another to lose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, not to be a burden to one another. But that's what I find sometimes when I travel around the world. Too often I think that we're too much of a burden to one another. We're too judgmental, too critical, too harsh. You know, one time I, I had a friend, he since passed away, he died of cancer. His name was David Sinclair. And just before he passed away, I was talking to him on the phone, and I said, Dave, throughout this turmoil, you know, you've gone through, I said, what, what is the one thing God has really laid on your heart? He said, you know, Ray, he said, the one thing that keeps coming back to my mind, he says, is we need to have compassion on one another. <clears throat> and it's never left me when he said that. You know, it just hit me like a, you know, just a thunderbolt out of the skies. Compassion towards one another. Look, friends, let me tell you something right now. It doesn't take much mental capacity to condemn somebody. It doesn't take much at all. It's easy to condemn. It's easy to cast the stone. But I'll tell you what, it's awfully hard to be a good Samaritan. Do you understand? Christianity isn't about casting stones. Christianity is about when you recognize someone is fallen and in the gutter. To do what you can to help them out of the gutter. Look, if you see someone in the gutter, that doesn't mean you have... You know, this is what gets me about the, the bleeding heart liberals. They feel if somebody's in the gutter, well, in order for you to have compassion on them, you yourself got to get in the gutter. You know, wallow in the mud with them. No, that's not compassion. That's stupidity. <laughs> that is insanity to think that if someone's in the gutter, in order for me to cope and understand their situation, I got to get in the gutter with them. Listen to me, I'm not about to wallow in the mud of the gutter of the sin that they're lying in order to try to help them out of that. Listen to me, how can you help them? That's like somebody in a boat, and he sees someone out there in the waters drowning. In order for me to cope and understand, that means I've got to get in the water with them. Listen, I've got to be insane to leave the only place that will save me and them. I'm going to row the boat over and pull them out of the water. Assuming, of course, they want to be saved. Which I hope and pray to God they do. But some people, I'll be honest, they don't want to be saved. And I got news for you. If you don't want to be saved, then I want to try to help you. I'm not letting you take me down. I mean, if you want to go to hell, that's your choice. But what you do should have no bearing on the choices and the decisions I make. I want to go to heaven. 
And so sometimes I think we've got everything kind of really messed up in our church. We've got this idea that we need to uh, placate to the sins of those in the church. Listen to me. When are we going to stop placating to the sins of those who have no deep concern whatsoever about this message in this church? Instead of placating to their deficiencies and their unwillingness to conform their lives to the truth, what we ought to do is raise the standard even higher. You know, look, ask yourself a marriage. Let's just take marriage, and I'm sure we've got a lot of young single people here. So listen very carefully. When you consider someone to be the potential spouse, let me ask you, what kind of standard do you have? Got a low standard? You got a low standard for the potential spouse? Is that what you have? Hmm? Women, do you want to you, you be thinking, well, I don't really care if he's a bum. <laughs> I, I don't care if he has no job. I, I, I don't care if he beats up his mother. No, I don't really. You know, just, I just want a man in the house. As long as I got that, I'm okay. Is that what you want, ladies? Huh? How about men? How about you? Huh? You want a whore for a wife? Is that what you want? Oh, I don't care if she sleeps around. It doesn't bother me. As long as she wants a while to sleep with me, I don't really care. Is that what you want? Yeah. Look, it's amazing when it comes to us personally. You know, I got real high standards. You know what I mean? Oh, no, no, no. You know, when it comes to a woman in terms of a spouse, at least this is the way I would think you would want to be, I want perfection. Listen to me. No, I'm, ta- I'm not talking about... She's perfect in everything. I'm talking about... You better be careful. You're in trouble, son. Huh? You, uh, you, you, you with him? Huh? We'll be praying for you. You want perfection in morality, don't you? Isn't that true? Amen. Sure you do. Yes, you do. Yeah. You, want an, uh, you want an ethical individual, don't you? Yeah. You want a spouse to lie to you? Marriage. Listen to me. You bring it down to the lowest common denominator. It's built on one word, trust. You break that, you don't have a marriage. Oh, you may be together, but you don't have a marriage. It's built on ethics, morality. You want a high standard. And nobody criticizes you, right? If you were to sit there and say, well, I, I'm looking for a woman who's moral, ethical, decent, loving, going to be a beautiful mother, a beautiful wife, a beautiful person. No one sits there and says, well, you're just too straight-laced extremist. You're just too far. You're, you're just too extreme. You know, you're just too radical. Nobody says that to you. They actually applaud you and say, well, that's noble. That's a wonderful thing to have. Now, if that's what we expect, why is it that we lower the standard when it comes to God? Why? Why is it? Oh, God will still take me to heaven. I can lie, cheat, steal, do a little bit of drinking on the side. Oh, I won't do it a lot, but just once in a while. Listen to this kind of music. Oh, it's toe-tapping, snapping music. I can dress any way I want to dress, eat any way I want to eat, act any way I want to act. Well, God loves, God will still take me to heaven. You must think God loves a whore. 
you should read your Bibles again. It is true that the church, metaphorically speaking, is a whore. There's no doubt about it. Hosea should teach you that. Because we've wandered away and had many other lovers. The other lovers is known as sin. But I got news for you. When Jesus comes back for his bride, the Holy Bible says, not me, this is not my word. The Holy Bible says she'll be spotless. Spotless. She will not be a whore. She'll be a virgin. We should take the burdens off of people, not add them. Let the oppressed go free. He's telling us what to do, how we should act, our attitude towards one another. Again, you don't lower the standard to accommodate the sinner. You don't lower your moral standards, your ethical behavior. If someone wants to be immoral and you want to help them, you don't become immoral. You hold yourself firm and true. If they wish to go that way, well, that's their choice. But you don't move. And that you break every yoke. Preaching the truth, standing up for what, right, what's right, living a moral and decent ethical life is doing all that you can to break the yoke of bondage that binds us to this world and the, and, and the sinful life that we live. We've got to break it. That's what this message of, of, of the Laodicean message and, and the talk about the latter rain and the early rain, this is what it's about. It's about breaking the yokes. And verse 7 says, Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry? To meet the physical needs? Of those around us. Not enough just to meet the spiritual needs, is it? No, it's not enough. There's also a physical element. Jesus, and you know this as well as I do. I shouldn't have to remind you, but you know full well that Jesus, most of his time was dealing with the physical needs of the people. You see somebody who has a physical need, and you can help them, you're under obligation by God to help that individual. Not to call up the, the local, uh, uh, you know, county uh, agency that, that, you know, that in order to relieve you of any responsibility. If you can help them, you are to help them. Now that doesn't mean you won't be able to help by using other agencies that will be able to lift them out of the dilemma they're in. But I'm trying to say is that when God has given you a responsibility, don't pawn your responsibility off on someone else. That thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house now, I'll tell you something right now. That's a pretty tough one. Let's be honest. I don't, I'm going to be very honest. Friend, that's a tough one for me. I've got to ask God to give me the grace to do that. I don't have it within me, the ability to carry that out. Believe me. First of all, I don't like anybody coming to my house. That's just the way I am. I'm a hermit. I like to be left alone. You know? I, I know that sounds bad. You know, I'm a public speaker, and yet I can't stand being around people. It's just too, I, you know, that's the way I've always been raised. I've just been a loner. Yeah, it probably does. But um, only God can help us fulfill these things. Only God. We don't have it in ourselves the ability to do these things. Human nature left to itself, 
recoils at fulfilling this. He says, And when thou seest the naked, cover him, and, thou hide not, and that thou hide not thyself from thy own flesh. Again, in other words, not pointing off the responsibility. You see something, you should take care of it. Now, when this happens, I want you to see what God's going to do for his church. Now remember, the earlier verses, God clearly lays out the true condition of the church, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Then in the latter verses, what we just read, he tells you what you should do. In other words, you want to solve the dilemmas of your problem? Here's what you should do. Now, when we do that, look at what God says he's going to do for the church. Verse 8, then, then, in other words, when you do this, then this will follow. Then thy light shall break forth as the morning, and thy health shall spring forth speedily. And thy righteousness shall go before thee, and the glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. Now, what verse does that remind you of? Your light will go before you, the glory of the Lord will be your reward. Does that remind you of anything? It should. It's in the book of Revelation. Somebody, I think, Norman, you made reference to it in your, in, in your uh, little talk you had. Listen to me. Revelation 18, verses 1 through 5. The glory of the Lord will lighten the whole earth. When we carry out this, then, then the light of God's glory will rest on His church and it will break forth as the morning. When we do it, then this will happen. Then, verse 9, then shalt thou call and the Lord will answer. Notice prior to this, he wasn't answering their prayers, was he? Was he? No, he wasn't answering their prayers. He said, but if you do this, you repent, you confess, you forsake, you bring your life in harmony with the will of God. When you call me, then I will answer you. Believe it or not, friend, listen to me. People sometimes think in their mind that God will answer them no matter what petition, no matter what condition they may be in. That's not true. That is not biblical whatsoever. Do you know that if you violate God's law, that God will not hear your prayer? Did you know that? God will not hear your prayers. So God doesn't listen to everything you petition up if your life is not in harmony with the will of God. The only prayer he will hear, actually, the only one he'll ever hear is if you're living a disobedient life, is the prayer of repentance. When you pray that, then he'll hear you. And then he'll answer you. And he'll give you a new heart and a new mind. Thou shalt call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here am I, if thou take away. If, in other words, these are conditions. And I know we don't like conditions, but I'm sorry. The Bible is full of conditions or prerequisites. It's full of them. Deuteronomy, the whole, over and over you have a two-letter word, over and over, if, 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 if. The covenant that God made with the Jews was predicated on the word if. If you meet these conditions, then I will do this for you. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking of vanity. The pointing forth of the finger, condemning, speaking of vanity, self-righteousness, holier-than-thou attitude. Verse 10, If thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shalt thou light rise in obscurity and darkness as the noonday. Then the darkness that around you, spiritually speaking, God will lift that darkness from your mind. I know people as I travel around the world, they say they're Christians. They say, I'm so depressed. I'm so down. I'm so, I feel so distressed and so, dark, so lonely and empty. I cut right to the chase. I said, how are you living? What's your life like? I had one fellow, you know, this gentleman, 
gone on and on how depressed and, you know, I just feel so bad. I said, said, well, what are you doing? What's your life like? Come to find out he's into pornography, he's into this, he's into... Well, no wonder you're depressed. No wonder you're lonely. No wonder you got darkness hovering over your mind and your soul. What did you think was going to happen? If you expect God to enlighten your mind and to free you from the darkness of sin, you've got to leave the very thing that causes the darkness. It's called sin. You've got to leave it. You, sometimes we, as human, we want God to do for us something that he has never said himself that he would do. He will not bless you in your sins. He will not overlook the conditions of your life if your life is out of the harmony of the will of God. He will not ignore it. He will not simply placate to you and simply say, well, I'm going to bless you anyway. No. No, it's not true. Don't misunderstand me. It is true the Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And what does that mean? That God will continue to bless you even though you'll continue to outright disobey Him? Listen to me. It means that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is so long-suffering, so merciful, that He's doing everything He can to save you, even though you yourself may not be in a condition that you choose to be saved. God is making ample provision for you to be in heaven. If you're not in heaven, let's be honest, friend. If we're not in heaven, it's not God's fault. It's not God's fault. It's our fault. We chose not to be there. It's as simple as that. Then he goes on to say this, And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones, and thou shalt be... Now here comes the latter rain. Now look at this. This is really... And the early. It's both early and red. And thou shalt be like a watered garden and like the spring of water whose waters fail not. You will overflow with water. A metaphor for the Holy Spirit. You'll be filled up, overflowing with the blessings of God and the Holy Spirit. If you do these things. If you do them. And then verse 12 is a prophecy of the end time people. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They receive the latter rain. Notice what they do. And they shall, they, they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places and raise up the foundations of many generations. And thou shalt be called the repair of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell. And here's the loud cry of the latter rain and the finishing of the work. And notice what is the one primary issue that they're going to restore and repair. What's the one doctrine above all other doctrines that's trampled in the dust? That, that's right, because there's the next verse, verse 13. Not only will it be preached, but also it's an admonition to the God's people. Get your foot off the Sabbath. It's not your day. It's not my day. It's God's day. It's if thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasures, nor speaking thy own words. You see how sacred and holy it is. But Sabbath reform is a part of the condition of the blessings of God. Then he says, he finally closes it up in verse 14. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee the heritage of the Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. This is what God wants to do for his church. This is what God requires. This is what God wants from us. Now listen, we've been given a wonderful opportunity this weekend to begin a new day in our life, if we so choose to do so. 
You may say, well, Brother Ray, look, I don't really, been, I've really not been living that, you know, bad of a life. I actually recommitted my life six months ago, whatever it may have been, living a pretty decent life. Well, praise the Lord. I hope you are. I hope you're living a very good moral, ethical life. I hope you are. But I got news for you. Wherever you may be on that scale, I don't care where it may be. It's not good enough. We've got to rise higher and reach a holier state than we now find ourselves in. I really don't believe we as a people understand the, what's about to come. I don't think we do. I really don't believe we understand what's coming. I don't have the statement with me, but Sister White says this. She says, we should be preparing ourselves to be arrested. We should be preparing ourselves to be arrested. Recently, I saw a documentary on Nazi Germany. It's called, uh, uh, I think it's called um, A History in Lesson. Nazi, the Nazis, A History in Lesson. Uh, or a Lesson in History, excuse me, A Lesson in History. And uh, you watch that documentary, I'll tell you something right now, open your eyes on human nature. It's a sociological study of not only the Germans, but the Jews. And they asked all these German people, why did you turn these people in? They found out, you know, who was turning in who? From Poland and, and the Czech Republic, around, you know, Germany. So why did you turn them in? Well, you know, I didn't want to get in trouble. One person they had, one lady they had, or a gentleman, I can't remember what, uh, but because they turned these people in, these people were all killed because of this one person. So they found this one person. They interviewed You feel any remorse? You feel any guilt? Well, it was the time in which we lived. You know, I'm sorry it happened, but, you know. The callousness, the cold, I couldn't believe it. I just sit there, bloop, it just knocked me over. Listen to me. Sister White says in Great Conifers, page 608, 609, she says, she talks about what's going to come. As the storm approaches, a large class of professed faith in the third angel's message, but have not been sanctified to obedience to the truth, abandon their position and join the ranks of opposition. You go on and read what she says, not only after, but before. She talks about some will be exiled. She says some will be put in prison and some will be treated as slaves. Yeah, that's right. You heard me. Slaves. She says, all this seems now impossible. She says, but not so when the Holy Spirit is withdrawn from, the, from this world. If we are wicked and corrupt while the Holy Spirit abides with human nature, what will happen to us when he is withdrawn? If the Nazi people could do this to Jews and other people while the Holy Spirit was abiding, what do you think is going to take place when the Holy Spirit is taken out of this earth? What do you think they're going to do to you then? Sister White says, when the Holy Spirit is withdrawn, then at that time, at that time, those who are unaided by God, in other words, they don't have the seal of God. She says, demons will fill their souls. They will be absolutely under demon control. They'll be possessed, demonically possessed. Imagine billions of people on this earth literally under the control of demons. Right now, we've got chaos in the Middle East. Absolute chaos. And yet the Holy Spirit is still abiding. And we got chaos. What do you think is going to happen over there when the Holy Spirit was drawn? I don't think we as Seventh-day Adventists have the foggiest idea of what's really coming. One of the things that the documentary brought out was very interesting. In the middle of the night, the Germans, they, had a, they knew what they were doing. They weren't stupid. They were not dumb people. They were smart, intelligent. They knew how to manipulate and calculate the moves of people. They knew what they were doing. When they grabbed the people, they grabbed them most of the time in the middle of the night. Why? Well, 
Understand the psychological and the sociological effect on the human mind, on the human being. In the middle of the night, that's when you're least expecting anything to happen to you. You're in your bed. You're fast asleep. You're in your pajamas. Right? In a warm, comfortable, quiet home. And without warning, and it was in every case, without warning, they didn't knock on the door and say, Oh, by the way, you know, uh, we'd like to come in and arrest you. They just plow the doors down. What would happen? It puts you in a state of shock where your mind can't, start, can't think straight. Oh, I could go on and on with the sociological study of uh, human nature in regard to what the Nazis did. But listen, let me tell you something right now. If you think what they did is something new or strange, you are under delusion. Sister White says, get ready, get ready, get ready. May God help us to get ready. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. Bless us now, dear Lord, and help us to recognize our great need of thee. Lord, awaken us from the delusion that we may find ourselves in. And help each one of us to know that we have a loving Savior. What a friend we have in Jesus. Lord, we need to recognize that our God is able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. And so, Lord, we come before you right now and ask that you'll bless us. Help us, dear Lord. We're told from the servant of the Lord that we cannot give our hearts to you, so we invite you to come and take them. We give you permission right now. We make this covenant with you at this moment. We want you to take possession of our minds, our hearts, and our souls. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not an evil spirit. So keep us now, we pray, and bless us. In Jesus' name, amen.